Hi, this is Sarah. If you like this episode of Let's Talk About Sects, you can listen to my audiobook, Do As I Say, How Cults Control, Why We Join Them, and What They Teach Us About Bullying, Abuse, and Coercion. The audiobook will be available on Audible, Apple Books, Google, and Kobo from the 28th of June. A link is in the show notes. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Before we get started, I want to welcome Audio-Technica as presenting partner for this season of Let's Talk About Sects. I've been working with their equipment from the very beginning of the show, and like many podcasters, started with an AT2020 USB mic, which has served me very well. The kind folks at Audio-Technica upgraded me to a BP-40, which they tell me is also perfect for screaming into if you're in a heavy metal band. If you're not a podcaster, they have some great options like noise-cancelling headphones for travel, some really cool wireless headphones, or if you love to listen to vinyl like I do, they've got very nice turntables as well. Find out more at audio-technica.com.au. Wanted. Families to volunteer to live for six months in the Australian outback to advance the frontiers of social science. Be part of a cutting-edge research project to test the ideal human environment. In a country known for a population that loves to travel, the write-ups appealed to plenty of adventurous spirits. Little did they know the reality of what they would be getting themselves into. Welcome to Let's Talk About Sects, a podcast about cults around the world. I'm your host, Sarah Steele. Before we continue, a content warning. This podcast deals with issues that some people may find disturbing related to emotional abuse and controlling behaviours. This episode also includes references to sexual assault of minors and suicidal thoughts. Please use your discretion as to whether this will be suitable for you and those around you who may be listening to. James Gino Salerno was born in Benevento, Italy in 1947. His parents moved the family, including James and his brothers Ben and Tony, to Adelaide in South Australia when James was seven years old. In 1966, at the age of 19, James joined the Australian Army and spent a year serving as a machine operator in the Vietnam War. 
He told journalist Andrew Burrell for The Weekend Australian, quote, I came back and I realised that war is the worst human environment, so I dreamt up, I imagined, the opposite of that. James spent the next decade travelling and learning about the world, including a stint teaching in a remote Aboriginal community in the Central Australian Desert in the early 1970s, where he claims to have been initiated as a warrior with Pitjantjara elders and a meeting with the Dalai Lama. Documentary filmmaker David Bradbury said that James gained qualifications in teaching, nursing and naturopathy and acquired skills in psychology and counselling. Frank Robson, in a 1999 article for Good Weekend magazine entitled Cult Friction, also mentions a stint as a used car salesman. James's first attempts at testing out some of the theories he'd formed from his experiences about human interaction didn't end well. He claimed to want to test out ideas around resolving conflict between people that would mean wars would never be necessary, but he told Frank Robson that his first subjects all ran away. He says that he then sold all his belongings, bought a number of businesses, and gave them to friends and family to run, on the proviso that they live by his principles and allow him to study them. To this end, they would all live communally on a property outside Adelaide. Former participant Tom Windsor told a very different story to Frank Robson, revealing that it was a collective business arrangement that was supposed to make everyone rich in a short period of time, and that there was no mention of anything like the ideal human environment or a behavioural study. Frank Robson's Good Weekend article was the most detailed source that I could locate from this period, and is very much worth a read. Considering the media coverage that was to come, even over a decade later, it's worth keeping in mind what this reporter unearthed as early as 1999. Original member Christine Leslie told the journalist, We all lived together and there were endless meetings where you'd be picked on by James. He told us he was always right. If you disagreed with him, the others couldn't wait to turn on you. I had no money of my own, no car, no phone. He kept us isolated, telling us the outside community was dumb and stupid, and that he alone had the answers to everything. You couldn't tell anyone of your feelings because they all reported back to James. One of the methods of resolving conflict within the group became known as sparring sessions. Frank Robson described it as a process whereby those perceived of having done something wrong were harangued by the group until they acknowledged the error of their ways. Tom Windsor told the journalist that, quote, The only theme within the cult was James's desire to be recognised as a wise and imposing man. He also mentioned that James didn't believe in monogamy and encouraged the men to have multiple sexual partners within the group. By 1990, they were living in a mansion in the Adelaide Hills, and James was travelling around the world a lot and driving a Mercedes. Some in the group had become disenchanted, feeling that while they were working hard to put money in the communal pot, James was living the high life. James told Frank Robson that, quote, They thought I wasn't doing enough work and I ended up with no house and no money. Sometime around this period, James met New Zealand-born nurse Carrie-Anne Higney on a trip to Melbourne, and their first child was born two years later. Carrie-Anne changed her surname to Salerno when they married, and I couldn't find out any information about James's first marriage, though Carrie-Anne Salerno is often referred to as James's second wife. Naomi Perry had met James in the early 80s and heard him speak about his wartime experiences. I'm unclear on the relationship between Naomi and James, but Naomi continued to believe in James's ideas and later had two children, Annika and Navarone, who were given the surname Salerno. A later federal court taxation-related judgment relays Naomi's evidence that, quote, the group experimented with varying organisational structures and leadership rotations. 
They researched, experienced and developed an understanding of what makes good leaders. She described the entire experiment as James's brainchild and said that During this period, Mr James Salerno began collating research and developed a test for choosing leaders that was described as the emotional quotient, EQ test. Frank Robson reported that James was unimpressed with the IQ test, which in one instance he hadn't performed well on because it didn't show leadership qualities, whereas his own EQ test showed him to be abundant in such qualities, including compassion, courage, business acumen, balance and humbleness. James Salerno published a book in 1996 called The Emotional Quotient, Are You Ready For It? It should be noted that the term emotional quotient can be found in texts as early as 1929, when a Dr William Hickson is quoted in a US government medical bulletin as saying that no mental rating is complete unless it gives both the intellectual and emotional quotient, of which the emotional is the more important. Frank Robson also reported on one former group member's impression of the women in the experiment. Quote, These women were terribly lonely and isolated. They'd compete with each other, massaging him, filing his nails, cooking him scones for his favours. It was quite sick to watch. Lorraine Salerno, who was once married to James's brother Tony, took a case of alleged assault by three of, quote, Salerno's women, to court, but it was dismissed for lack of corroborating evidence. The Kimberley is in the northernmost part of Western Australia and has the kind of landscape that many travellers would imagine from romantic depictions of Australia in the media. It's the real outback where the 660-kilometre Gibb River Road is mostly unsealed and runs through deserts, dramatic gorges, rugged mountain ranges, savannah, remote farming stations and one of the world's most isolated coastlines. Pentecost River crosses the Gibb River Road and on its shores is the Elquestro Station, whose lease was purchased by James and Ben Salerno in 1983 for $500,000. Today there's a swimming hole and waterfall you can visit called Emma Gorge, named after James and Carrie-Anne's daughter, Emma Salerno. The Salernos ran a cattle ranch, and though the lease was sold at a massive profit to entrepreneur Will Burrell in 1991, the area would become the home of the next iteration of James's experiment. The group had been travelling around and presenting at conferences throughout the mid to late 1990s, and around 1999, the 40-strong Ideal Human Environment Social Research Team, or IHESRT, was created to fund a community at Elquestro that was said to cost around half a million dollars in order to test out their theories on the ideal human environment. Naomi Perry described it thus... The IHE is a place where all people, regardless of race, colour, creed or religion, can be emotionally and physically safe from and with each other. For those who have a hard time in general understanding why or how people join cults, I think IHE presents an interesting example. Here's some copy that ran in The Age in Melbourne. Families needed for desert life. Researchers are looking for families prepared to live as hunters and gatherers in the Kimberley Desert for six months in an attempt to find the ideal human environment. The project's coordinator and financier, Mr James Salerno, says he has searched for 30 years to discover the ideal living conditions and wants to test what he has found on a group of volunteers. Similar text was printed in major newspapers throughout Australia. This from the Canberra Times. Wanted, three Canberra families to brave six months in the outback to advance the frontiers of social science. 
The invitation comes from one James Salerno, who is running Project Research 2000, in which seven families will stay in harsh conditions in the Kimberley region in a quest, he says, for the ideal human environment. Director of the Research Committee Dr Naomi Perry said yesterday that they had received about 250 inquiries, but three more families were needed. It's easy to see what might be appealing to a family with an adventurous spirit. As Deborah Layton, a former member of Jim Jones's ill-fated People's Temple, said, Nobody joins a cult. You join a self-help group, a religious movement, a political organisation. They change so gradually, by the time you realise you're entrapped, and almost everybody does, you can't figure a safe way back out. In June 1999, around 60 people, mostly Australian families, along with a few international visitors, were accepted to participate in what was then called Project Research 2000. James's research team would observe them. The Illawarra Mercury reported that Mr Salerno said his plan was to sell his ideal living environment secrets to businesses and others who wanted to improve workplace productivity. The experiment was to take place over six months. James's emotional quotient remained a core component. From an ABC News article, quote, Participants were ranked based on their skills and attributes including humility, business acumen, fitness and compassion. One man who didn't like the leadership structure left on the first day. Upon arrival, participants were told by James, What you are thinking is not necessarily correct. Keeping an open mind would certainly be necessary in such circumstances but that could be interpreted as a way of encouraging people to curtail any critical thoughts from the outset. The ABC reported that initiations were part of the process, which included an overnight stay in the bush with no food or equipment, even for children. James Salerno instructed that he be addressed as Taipan. Project research participant Andrew Guy, whose high EQ ranking gained him a leading role in the project, later told journalist Andrew Burrell, quote, James is Yoda. He's got wisdom. He's got an aura about him. James has got the gift. A daily group meeting called the Wisdom Bank talked over every issue, no matter how small, and came to a consensus decision. Those ranked more highly on the EQ measure had more authority and got to eat first, along with other perks. James and Carrie Ann's three children consistently ranked highly. James hired a PR firm to attract as many journalists as possible to come and cover what he said had the potential to be the most significant achievement ever made in human history. This is when Frank Robson wrote about the IHE for the Sydney Morning Herald's Good Weekend magazine. He reported in November 1999 that most of the other journalists in attendance wrote approvingly and that, quote, "...none of the journalists seemed to notice any unpleasant cult overtones." Thankfully, wrote one Sydney reporter after his visit, there are no signs of a Jim Jones or a David Koresh. David Reardon's article for the Sydney Morning Herald was titled Tycoon Beats Evil in Desert Utopia, and he quoted James as saying, Without any disrespect to Buddha, Jesus or Joan of Arc, they tried and have not quite got there. More vital to mankind than flight or even the moon landing, this breakthrough could signal an end to the violent society that we have been subjected to for so many years. Martin Daly wrote for the Sunday Age, quote, After four months of conflict, tears, resolution, great times, firm friendships and romance, 
there appeared few doubts the experiment had not only worked but had fundamentally changed their lives. But Tom Windsor, who had become involved with James Salerno for seven years in Adelaide before becoming disenchanted and leaving, told Frank Robson, quote, It's a cult, pure and simple. What he does, basically, is brainwash people. My ex-wife and I were part of it, and it continues today. James systematically destroys people's sense of self-worth. He ruins lives. Volunteer Mark Hickey told the journalist about watching some participants fall in line with James's thinking. Quote, we called it becoming Salernified. It was fairly scary to watch. Mark also said that he had been unaware of the plan to sell the learnings to corporations and was very turned off when participants were suddenly made to focus on the creation of marketing manuals towards the end of the experiment. Quote, If we'd known Salerno's deeper intentions, I don't think half of us would have gone there. A few months in, illness and hardship had caused around half of the original participants to abandon the project. After five months, the experiment was over. In the media coverage, I could only find reference to the original participants leaving over medical issues and the harsh living conditions. But I've been in touch with someone who had a close relationship with a participant at the time, who felt that they left for reasons much more to do with concerns around the group dynamics. They apparently said that they wished that they could do more to get others out too. James told Frank Robson about the experiment's premature conclusion, quote, I'm ecstatic. We've made such good progress. A former member would later tell journalist Andrew Burrell that things got worse around the year 2000, after the media coverage, which precipitated Taipan becoming more controlling. She was 10 years old at the time. In the year 2000, James set up the Ideal Human Environment Foundation, which was registered to run as a charity with Naomi Perry as its president. She said that it was created to assist young people with social disorders and provided 31 beds as short-term accommodation for those in need, as well as a hotline and other programs. In 2001, the Salernos bought Arbury Park Mansion in Adelaide, South Australia, for $2.4 million dollars. The group took up residence on the 10 hectares in Oldgate in the Adelaide Hills region. The 17-room Georgian-style mansion was originally built by Sir Alexander Downer in 1935, who was the father of former Australian Foreign Affairs Minister Alexander Downer, and it was where the latter experienced his childhood. The South Australian Education Department had owned the property previously and built a 31-bed accommodation centre for teacher training purposes. These were the beds that Naomi Perry referred to as being for young people with social disorders. The reports I've read said that the barracks were for all the children of IHE members. The children slept in dormitories on the upper levels, whilst adults slept in various outbuildings and in the main house. James Salerno had a large suite in the mansion. I couldn't find what had instigated the move to Adelaide, but the ABC reported that James's own children attended the prestigious independent schools Cornerstone College and Mercedes College. As the philosophy of the ideal human environment was honed, the rules had developed. Children were raised communally by the group instead of through a primary relationship with their parents. They were required to not show any special attachment to blood relatives. Children were also given a group ranking – if a higher-ranked child complained of a lower-ranked child's conduct, the lower-ranked child would be punished. 
Later court testimony alleged that punishments included being hit in the head with a stick called the punishment stick, being made to sleep outside and not being fed. For a member to reach a higher EQ ranking, the Wisdom Bank had to take a vote. A former member later said in court that followers who showed they believed James to be God and adhered to his orders most closely would be more likely to progress up the ranks. James Salerno would testify that his preferred address of Taipan was a nickname he'd received from a friend who had a fondness for snakes, but some ex-members said it really came from the Cantonese for Supreme Leader. James had told journalist Frank Robson that the friend who'd bestowed the nickname upon him was a Chinese business contact. For those in the group, there was a rule book which included a glossary, and a telling example given by Andrew Burrell is the phrase, removing chemicals from the socket, which means to remove all unverified thought patterns that could block incoming information. The reporter's first article about IHE also mentioned safe verbal sparring for resolving personal grievances, which, along with the daily Wisdom Bank meetings picking over the tiniest issues in people's lives, definitely brought to mind a couple of other groups we've looked at in this podcast. Members got up each morning for exercises before breakfast, which was at 7am. They continued to hold regular jobs, with all income being handed over to the group, supposedly to be distributed as needed. Outside of their jobs, they were always meant to be conducting active research on their observations of other humans in the experiment, constantly working towards obtaining the IHE. Women were to be subservient to men, and James selected women who would tend to his needs and personal grooming, cutting his nails, bathing him and giving him massages. Andrew Burrell, in his second feature article on IHE for the Weekend Australian magazine, reported that the bath had to be a certain temperature and depth, which was measured as 12 links of the chain attached to the bath plug. Mitch Mott for the Adelaide Advertiser wrote that members had to go on ahead of James to reserve his favourite seats and put in his order on trips to local cafes, and that only certain people were allowed to select his fruit, which had to be unblemished. A former follower later said in court that she had received training on how to be a good female, which included how to dress and how to conduct herself around men. Another former follower said, We had to be thinking the same as what Taipan thought, and we were told that time and time again and often punished if we didn't. After watching the Russell Crowe film Gladiator, James instructed his followers that they were from then on to stand and salute him with the words strength and honour when he entered a room. In 2005, the Salernos incorporated an organisation called the Study and Prevention of Psychological Diseases Foundation, Inc., also known as SPED, as a charity. This foundation had a new focus and was supposedly primarily about studying the early indicators of psychological disease in order to help with prevention. Its research methodology did not include, quote, statistical procedures or quantification, but was instead a 24-7 study undertaken in an interactive real-time manner. SPED member Anna DuPont gave evidence in a later federal court taxation hearing that her involvement primarily as a guinea pig meant her entire life was a part of the study and that there were no holidays and no time off. She considered herself to be a full-time mother and was also treasurer for SPED, working on a variety of administrative and accounting tasks. Quote, 
Being a full-time researcher is like the scientist who uses his own body to experiment and has to go through all the consequences of those experiments to find the cure we all want. Anyone was able to join the study if approved by the board by paying an annual subscription fee. Psychology or research qualifications were not a requirement for involvement in SPED, which, just to remind you, stood for the Study and Prevention of Psychological Diseases. James Salerno was later quoted by journalist Andrew Burrell as saying, Psychologists, psychiatrists and social workers, I put them all together as social scientists. It would be just as good going to an astrologer or a gypsy and saying, how do I solve this problem? Clause 9 of the application form under the heading Entry Principal Assets had the terms Upon joining the SPED SRT, Social Research Team, all your assets become part of the asset base to be available for use by the SPED Foundation. This includes cash and all forms of property. These assets form part of what is termed Entry Principal Assets. Members were to be both researchers and guinea pigs, and had to be accountable to abiding by the IHE principles for all daily decisions on all actions. The application form also required members to be available to participate in fundraising endeavours for the Foundation, but a subsequent clause defined any income derived by a member as fundraising. Special research projects undertaken by SPED included the purchase of luxury vehicles, supposedly to investigate human behaviour in relation to driving a $100,000 Hummer, a $300,000 Ferrari and a $695,000 Rolls-Royce. Apparently the findings were that the Ferrari was generally driven by the young men and the Rolls by one of the older women. Emma Salerno, James's daughter, told the Gold Coast Bulletin, If you're researching conflict resolution, you need to create areas of conflict. That's partly what the car experiment was about. Another was called Project Gambling, to help understand addictive behaviour by spending a bunch of money on games of chance, and Project India, which coincided with members attending a wedding in India. As at the 30th of June 2005, there were 21 members of SPED, 11 of whom had the surname Salerno. James himself was not listed as a member. A tribunal looking into the charity status of SPED found that nothing has made its way into or even been submitted to any medical or other journal. SPED's publications are for internal purposes. James put the Arbury Park mansion on the market for $5.25 million in January 2005, but then took it off again. In May 2006, he tried for $5 million, but couldn't find a buyer. By early 2008, the property was listed at $4.2 million and was then bought for what was thought to be under the $4 million mark by investor and Port Adelaide Football Club director Alex Panis. He told the Adelaide Advertiser, quote, The Salerno family has done a wonderful job. It was in such a huge mess when they bought the property. The IHE moved on to Bow Desert in southeast Queensland, where they conducted further experiments, including placing a group of 30 people in a farmhouse and instructing them to live off the land for six months. They also purchased a nine-bedroom house on the Gold Coast. By the 30th of June 2009, SPED's financial records listed total assets of over $10.6 million. 
On the 6th of April 2011, the Taxation Commissioner advised the organisation that a review had ascertained SPED had not been meeting the statutory requirements to be operating as a charitable institution, and that its charity and DGR, or deductible gift recipient, status were to be revoked, backdated to the 1st of January 2005. This meant that they owed $3.5 million in back taxes. SPED applied for a review, and in the meantime, Salerno Pastoral Company owner James Salerno Jr., James and Carrie Ann's son, took back a part of the old Elquestro lease that his father and uncle had held for the first IHE experiments, and the group moved back to the Kimberley in Western Australia. A clothing business called Ringers Western became another IHE-related endeavour. A tribunal upheld the Taxation Commissioner's decision on the 20th of December 2013. Quote, the tribunal observes that SPED's principal activities, as it claims, are the research its members carry on 24 hours per day, seven days a week. The tribunal then observes that it does not accept that this is research. The tribunal concludes that the activities of the members described by SPED as research are predominantly the ordinary activities of life, and that these activities are carried out for the personal benefit of the members themselves. The tribunal concludes that although SPED asserts that all of its expenditure is on research, nevertheless, overwhelmingly, its expenditure goes on its members' living expenses, other personal expenditure, and commercial investments. End quote. So as far as I can ascertain, the setup seemed to be that anyone who joined signed over all of their assets and paid any income they received in their regular job, which they would continue to work as normal, straight over to SPED. In donating 100% of their income, they would therefore not pay any income tax. SPED would then cover food and general living costs and claim this expenditure as a tax deduction because it was all part of the 24-7 research that the group was undertaking. This research was into psychological diseases and was undertaken by people who were neither trained researchers nor psychologists. It would be for the public benefit, except that no findings were ever made available to the public. The public could, of course, join if they wanted to, but Naomi Perry told the tribunal that, quote, we have not actively solicited members of the public to become members. In terms of SPED's claim to also being a health promotion charity, the line item for marketing expenses was consistently very little of the budget. In the 2006 financial year, it was $47. Emma Salerno explained it this way to the Gold Coast Bulletin. When we were given the charitable status, we had two options of how we would raise money. One was to solicit for donations, the other was to fund it ourselves. We chose the latter. We used the revenue from our law firm and other businesses to fund the research. We didn't ask for the public's money. SPED finally appealed to the federal court on a number of grounds that included a contention that it is not necessary to show that the benefit offered is real and of value or that the benefit is available to the public if the main charitable aim is advancement of education and other purposes beneficial to the community. Justice J. Greenwood once again upheld the decision on the 21st of October 2015. Quote, the critical matter is the private domestic furtherance of the interests of the members rather than the furtherance of any purpose focused upon benefits to the community. The Charity Register of the Australian Charities and Not-for-Profits Commission lists the IHE's other charity entity, the Ideal Human Environment Foundation, as having had its charity status revoked on the 4th of June 2015, after it failed to provide financial statements from 2013 and 2014. That charity was listed as helping youth from 15 to under 25 years old. 
Carrie-Anne Salerno told New Zealand's Marlborough Express in 2015, quote, Human beings, we come onto this planet and we don't know the laws. We are taught intellectually at school, but our emotions aren't catered for. We are not taught how to get on with each other, how to speak with each other, how to have respect. In a very positive article from Carrie-Anne's hometown, looking at her blessed life, the writer describes how in the IHE... Actions are identified as either LEAs, low-energy attractions, or HEAs, high-energy attractions, the communal raising of children, teachings being non-religious and non-cultural, and a program aimed at 18- to 25-year-olds who are accepted as members of the Salerno family. In 2015, Prince Harry stayed with the Salernos on a visit to Australia, having met James and Carrie-Anne's son Matteo through the military. Emma Salerno told Anne Wason-Moore for the Gold Coast Bulletin, Oh yes, Prince Harry was touring Kununurra in his last Australian visit before getting married and he stayed at our property for some R&R. We took him shooting and riding, he loved it. We even taught him some of the practices we use in the IHE. 2015 was also the year that documentary filmmaker David Bradbury spent some time with the IHE and he told the ABC, quote, It seemed to be a pretty normal functioning place there without any underbelly. He did notice the real old-school, 50s patriarchal-type society, but clearly that still tees up with a normal-functioning place to many, though David's female partner did tell him that she felt restricted there. This was the same year that journalist Andrew Burrell spent three days in the Kimberley with the IHE as well. This is the most outstanding and monumental discovery ever in the history of the human race, the journalist noted from the IHE website. Nothing has ever or will ever equal the importance to humans as this universal discovery. At first, Andrew Burrell's impressions were positive. From his Weekend Australian magazine article entitled The Utopia Project, quote, Everyone we meet is incredibly friendly and seems to be in superb physical health. Could this be a microcosm of utopia? But as the days progressed, he noticed a few things that seemed like they might be red flags. I have to say that I find it exasperating how often highly sexist attitudes and hugely limiting expectations of any gender are not perceived as immediate red flags, and particularly where women are seen as lesser than, that often people feel able to overlook this as a clear and important issue in this day and age is quite astounding to me. Andrew Burrell did comment on the patriarchal aspects of the group. Quote, Salerno admits some of his research findings will be considered politically incorrect. For example, he believes men and women should not be seen as equals. Social scientists are trying to say they are equal, he says. There's a whole cult out there telling us the right words to use and not to make female jokes. The bottom line is that males can apprehend reality better than females and that gives them the edge. Men will get the reality of a situation quicker. A note to James Salerno and anyone else who's mulling this one over. I can highly recommend you read the work of a different researcher on the subject. Delusions of Gender by Cordelia Fine is most worthy of your time. There's a link in the show notes. The Weekend Australian article also commented on the fact that members handed over all their earnings to the group as one of the most unusual aspects, and noted that members couldn't spend more than $100 of their own volition without the group's okay. It mentioned that James and Carrie Ann's children, Emma and Matteo Salerno, were partners at law firm Salerno Law, while their other son, James Jr., was running the Salerno Pastoral Company, and all of their earnings were going into the pot as well. 
In spite of the group's collectivist approach, Andrew Burrell noted that the IHE was big business. Quote, These are people who can read a balance sheet and tend to vote for the Liberal Party. For non-Australians, the Liberal Party is the name of our Conservative Party here. Naomi Perry told the reporter, quote, You can't call something the ideal human environment if people are broke. Andrew Burrell won a Western Australian Media Award for Best Feature Writing for The Utopia Project, and judges said he broke new ground in, quote, pulling back the curtain on an untold, unusual, but very human story right in our backyard. But just over four years later, the journalist revisited the story and wrote, quote, I realise now that Salerno and his people whitewashed much of what I saw during my stay with them. Little more than two months later, he would be reporting on James Salerno's arrest. James had been unhappy with Andrew Burrell's original coverage, which was a lot more positive than Frank Robson's 1999 Good Weekend article, but didn't hold back from some criticisms. Andrew Burrell did say that, quote, After three days with Salerno, I can only really conclude that he does genuinely want to create a better world. Four years on, the reporter would write, Whatever the group's complaints about my original story, they would pale in comparison to the disastrous publicity that awaited. Andrew Burrell's in-depth follow-up story in August 2019 was entitled A Snake in the Grass and had the subheading, He claimed to be creating a utopia, but in reality James Salerno was a controlling sexual predator. In 2003, during the group's time at the Adelaide Hills mansion, a 12-year-old girl had become the youngest of a group of females given the task of tending to James Salerno's every need. James Salerno had begun sexually assaulting her from the age of 13 telling her that it was his duty to, quote, make her a lady. Over the following years, there were multiple instances of rape. James told the girl not to tell anyone about what he was doing to her. She escaped the group in 2009 when she was 18 years old, leaving her parents behind. After taking a few years to adjust to life outside of the IHE, in 2012 she walked into a police station and reported what had happened to her. After the victim had gone to the police, her mother left the group to support her. On the 24th of November 2015, James Salerno returned from a trip to the USA, flying into Brisbane Airport. The 68-year-old was promptly arrested and extradited to Adelaide to face charges of unlawful sexual intercourse. The victim's subsequent diagnosis of depression and PTSD delayed the legal process against James Salerno as she got psychological help and the case eventually came to trial in 2019. In the meantime, Emma Salerno had been legal counsel to her good friend Catherine Marriott in her sexual harassment claim against then-National Party leader Barnaby Joyce. For the non-Australians, the National Party is the party that forms a coalition government with the Liberal Party, and within that coalition tends to represent rural interests. It started out as the Australian Country Party. An internal investigation by the party came to no determination, and Emma Salerno said of Catherine to Anne Wason Moore for the Gold Coast Bulletin, quote, She was a kind person who had something happen and just thought, it's not right, and she knew other people were fearful to say something, and she thought, I need to speak. We did everything we could to keep it confidential. It was a no-win scenario, but she took that stand. 
She wasn't seeking retribution. She said what she needed to and kept walking. She's an incredible person and I greatly admire her. In contrast, Emma said of her dad's case, We are extremely confident that my father will be vindicated. The family knows more about this than the public do. We have to await the outcome of the proceedings. Andrew Burrell related the reality of what was being hidden from the public by the IHE, which later came out in court. James was, quote, revealed as a tyrant who had a godlike status within the cult. Members had to adjust their thoughts to align with Taipans, whose thoughts were good and pure and right. Those who did not comply were punished. The journalist spoke with the girl who had brought charges against James, and she told him that she wanted to tell her story to encourage other women and girls experiencing anything similar to go to the authorities. Quote, I knew it was wrong, but I had nowhere to go. I was so scared. And now looking back, I really wish I'd had the courage to get out and to fight him. She said, If you cried, it showed weakness. I was constantly told off for showing my weakness. In her court testimony about James, she said that members were made to fear him. Quote, He was God. He was someone that could bring down hell upon you. To ever say no to him, you were disrespectful. It was insubordinate, and if you ever did say no to him, you were punished. She had had to hand over any money she made from her part-time job, and said if she used any, it was only allowed to be for buying Taipan presents. For all of her contributions over her lifetime up until that point, she was given just $400 with which she could try to build a new life. After leaving, the girl received a letter that was made out to be from her parents. Quote, If you wish to fool yourself, you should not try to fool us as well. You are out there because you were insubordinate. You are therefore in a state of insubordination and against the laws of the IHE and therefore against us. You are not for unity nor for the IHE. You are for you. That is the truth. Judge Paul Slattery didn't accept that the letter was written by anyone but James himself. The victim told Andrew Burrell that she believed the whole idea of the IHE was just a front for James Salerno to manipulate and control people around him for his own benefit. Lots of strange stories came out in court, including an occasion where James had ordered all of the men to wrestle nude in front of everyone, and then ordered the same of the women. The court also heard that no decision could be made without James's okay, and that members would often say the words, praise Taipan. The victim testified that she'd had suicidal thoughts and couldn't see the light at the end of this terrible and traumatic tunnel. She said, I felt so violated and damaged, like my dignity and innocence had been stolen from me. As an example of the terror instilled in the victim, Prosecutor Patrick Hill told of an incident that had occurred when she was 11. Taipan had been displeased by the way that her father had disciplined her brother, and so for the resulting punishment for her father, quote, a high-ranking member produced a large stick known to the girl as the punishment stick, which was about 1.2 metres long, with a large ball or wooden knot at the end. Her father was told to kneel down, and the girl was made to strike her father across the head. She didn't want to do it, but she knew she had to, or she would be in trouble. The prosecutor continued, This shows the almost complete destruction of her family unit before the abuse and its replacement with the ranking structure, at the top of which sat Salerno. 
The victim testified to being taught from a young age that humans were only on earth to serve Taipan, and that she was told she should feel honoured for being chosen to serve him. She had stopped attending school in Year 7 and believed she was to be homeschooled, but lessons were few and far between. Each morning after breakfast, she and the other children were lined up and assigned their work for the day. James Salerno testified that the victim never looked after his personal needs and said that he didn't even like massages or manicures. He denied being a leader in the group and said that you cannot create an ideal human environment unless people are physically, emotionally and intellectually independent. On the 24th of May 2019, James Salerno was found guilty of eight counts of unlawful sexual intercourse with a child. On the 29th of July, South Australian District Court Judge Paul Slattery sentenced the 72-year-old to 10 years in jail, with a non-parole period of eight years. The judge said of James's testimony, quote, I have found that at times his evidence was inconsistent, it could not be reconciled with objective facts, and on quite a number of occasions was plainly inaccurate and unreliable. Addressing James at sentencing, the judge said, quote, You abused your primacy position within the group to not only groom and sexually abuse the complainant, but to ensure that she was fearful of speaking out about your actions and instilled in her thoughts that no one would believe her even if she did speak out. Your offending has had a profound effect on the complainant, as she is still suffering ongoing physical, mental and emotional issues. To this day, you maintain your innocence and you've shown no contrition for your actions. On the 7th of September 2019, The Weekend Australian published a letter to the editor from Robert D. Moore of Norwood South in South Australia. Quote, It is a great pity that only one person has come forward. Unfortunately, this story predates the victim's era by many years and involves dozens of people affected by this rogue. Today, around 30 IHE members remain in the remote far north of Western Australia, whilst James Salerno appeals his sentence. I'll update the show notes with any developments. We'll leave the final word with the victim, who told ABC journalist Rebecca Opie on the conclusion of the trial, the girls can sleep easy now, the ones that are still left in there. That's all I wanted from the start, to help the other girls. for listening. I'd love it if you'd consider dropping a review on Apple Podcasts if you happen to listen on that platform. I know it's largely a vanity measure, but I'd be keen for a recent spate of reviews criticising my voice to drop down the list a bit. You can access ad-free episodes and support the production of this independent podcast via Patreon. Patreon.com slash LTASpod. This episode of Let's Talk About Sects was written and researched by me, Sarah Steele. Music was by Joe Gould. Information sources are listed on our website at ltaspod.com. Thanks again to Audio Technica, presenting partner for Season 3 of Let's Talk About Sects. If you're in the market for some top-quality audio equipment, be sure to head to audio-technica.com.au to check out some of their stuff.
Their range of earphones and headphones is quite ridiculous, from sport to gaming to professional studio, and they're known for some of the best sound around. If you've been personally affected by involvement in a cult, or would like to support those who have been, you can find support or donate to Cult Information and Family Support if you're in Australia via www.cifs.org.au. And you can find resources outside of Australia with the International Cultic Studies Association via www.icsahome.com. If you or someone you know is in crisis or needs support right now, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14 in Australia or find your local crisis centre via the International Association for Suicide Prevention website at www.iasp.info. Catch you again next month.